All right, Mark, man, appreciate you hopping on the show, dude. Uh, we've been exchanging texts and talking about all sorts of crazy stuff for the past, uh, I don't know, how long has it been since we hung out in New Orleans? What, two months or not? Not no, two man, months, been, like six it weeks. Seems like two months, but it was like, <laughs> shit, I don't know, four weeks or so. Yeah, because I, it's funny, I had, I had come down to New Orleans and I was shaking so many new hands, didn't know who was who. And it's funny, coming to New Orleans, you were one of the people I wanted to connect with. And then when I got there, it was like chaos with the fights and everything. And then as we, I think we were leaving the fights, I was like, oh shit, that's Mark. <laughs> like eight hours into the day. Sure. Um, but then our, we, we got a chance to catch a, a cab home together and I got a chance to hear your story firsthand. Uh, it was mind-blowing, to say the least, man. Like, probably one of the craziest stories. It was the first thing I told my wife when I got home. I said, listen. She's like, how were the fights? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to talk with the fights. I was like, I heard this crazy story. <laughs> I got to tell you before I forget. Also, because you and your wife were, we were talking about sports and kids, and I was like, man, like, these people are just like us. And, like, this story that he told me, I was like, I'm still trying to <laughs> figure out, like, where it started, where it began, and, like, the chaos that you were sharing with me was absolutely insane, man. Yeah, brother. It was, um, we were driving home. It was me, you, and my wife, and Cody Jefferson, I believe, right? Coming home from the fights. We got the Uber because Keith was still trying to give high fives to Alan Belcher all late at night. And fuck, I'm like, dude, I, I got to go to bed. You're hungry. You hadn't ate in like fucking 36 hours or something like that. So, like, it was time to, uh, time to rock and roll. But yeah, man, I'm super grateful to have you here, man. And, and, um, building the relationship and connection we've been able to establish over the past four, five, six weeks, whatever has been really great watching your fitness, you know, what you just did at the, the high rocks and all that stuff. Miami was really cool. And just, just kind of getting, I'm not a big social media, like social media follower of people. I'm like, Oh, but I like this and I see it. So I'm really enjoying watching you win, bro. Yeah. It, it, and our conversation today couldn't come at a better time. Um, you know, I, your story is, like, is, is absolutely mind-blowing. We can obviously get into it. I know my audience has got to hear it. Uh, but coming from a family where addiction is like an undercurrent at all times, right? It's like a theme that's always there, whether it's, you know, from my dad's side of the family where my dad was and still is an alcoholic, uh, to my current, you know, siblings who oftentimes have dealt with uh, addiction over the course of the past, you know, 20 to 30 years. Um, it's always like a theme in my life. And personally, it's, it's always a theme around people that I care about, right? T care about deeply. And I have this sense, and I'm sure we can talk more about it, but this sense of helplessness at times, right? Where I see people with, so much talent, so much potential, and just they can't seem to get out of this deep, dark hole. In fact, it gets, just gets deeper. And the person I am as a coach and person who mentors people and cares about people, it's a frustrating thing. So my hope today is that we can talk through, you know, not just your, your own story, which is where I want to start because it's just, it'll blow people's heads off, but also for the people who have people they love and care about in their life who are going through some of these these things that you've been through and obviously all the men you help now go through, how can we show up the right way to ensure that we're providing as much support, as much love, as much compassion as we possibly can to help you know lead and, and do whatever we can to get people out of these crazy times, man? So, you know, bro, let's, before we get into that, let's establish the word addiction on a baseline. So think about this. Everybody's addicted to something, number one. So you're talking to me about alcohol and drugs and substance because that's, I've made my niche. I've helped more people. That's 
been one of the catastrophic feelings I've had in my life, one of the things I've done, but the reality is everybody's addicted to something. Food, right? Working out, sex, making money, losing, right? So the, so to, to back somebody into a box first and foremost, like never made sense to me, but switching the mindset to believe that everybody is obsessed to some degree with something, put a, put a place for me and maybe some of your listeners who are struggling with understanding that, like because it has this negative connotation on it because it's attached to a drink or a drug, we autom- automatically assume it's bad. Yet the very action a- and activity that someone takes to obsession and addiction in food or in sports or in money or whatever is the same fucking thing. Okay. So what I like to do just for maybe some people that are like listening to this. And one of the first things I did for myself was I'd never allowed myself to have the label and identity of an addict or an alcoholic. Yet I'm obsessed with everything. I'm obsessed. I was obsessed with drinking. I was obsessed with drugs. I was, I'm obsessed with my wife. I'm obsessed with my business. I'm obsessed with serving the men. So I just wanted to kind of touch that out of the gate so everyone can understand. I believe it's a good thing, only it can be used incorrect or correctly. That choice inside of that is what makes my movement so fucking powerful. Now, your question, bro, was like, how, how would you, how do you support someone that's, that's going through that? Like, it's, it's interesting because when we are dealing with the substance, which changes the personality of people at times, you're not really dealing with the real person. So I can only speak from my specific story and who I was. And one of the things that I think you have to do straight out of the gate is you can love them, trust with verification, but you cannot enable them, enable them. So every time that I, I had seven major relapses, which we'll get into, but thousands of probably micro relapses, but seven major relapses and at, and every single one of them, there was somebody that was enabling me to allow me to manipulate the situation, to continue to keep going further and further and further into the hole that I was in because they were actually, it's what I wanted. Okay. So straight out of the gate, if you're dealing with somebody who's struggling, you love from a distance, you don't have to cut them off. Right. But you also cannot enable them. You have to let, like, you have to let them know, like, the buck stops here. Because what happened with me every single time was I will take and I will take and I will take and I will take until I couldn't take anymore. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, loving from a distance is a, is a tough one for. I know for me, I'll just speak for myself. You know where where to draw the lines, where where to open up the doors. You know where to try to make connections and help and risk. You know whatever reputation or you know in my case I have kids right and so bringing my kids around things and then having them see things or be disappointed or whatever it's it's a layer right that I that I worry about now with some of the close people in our life that deal with this stuff. So how, how do you create the right distance? I mean, is there, maybe it's just a case by case thing, but maybe for you, what, what did that look like? What were some of the things people did that enabled you? And then where would have it been better to have a certain amount of distance? So I can tell you how I tell people to create the distance right now, the safe place. And that's, that's with the truth. Like, you know, too many people in this world want to beat around the, just beat around the bush. If something, someone is jacking up, if someone is overusing drugs, abusing drugs, abusing alcohol, and you know, it's not good for your children, then as the father is the man, the leader of this whole world that you created, you should not put them in that circumstance anyways, right? Just, you should not allow that. So you do it with the truth. You don't beat around the bush and just kind of emotionally like jerk people off and make them feel good about the way that they, what's going on in their life. Now, at the same time, back when I was there, how they would enable me was I'd always been able to make money. Right. So the caveat that I always have is I could dangle this carrot. I could get what I want because I had the ability to create cash. Even when I was messed up, 
right? So I was actually getting what I wanted by holding money over them to be able to say, come help me get what I need, whether that's via rides, watching my son, taking care of me, right? Or just, just giving the emotional energy that I was taking and taking and taking while I was feeling like shit, okay? So one of the things that I, I think that you could do, number one, is just tell the truth, right? If, some, if you don't like the way that someone is, you shouldn't have to like bend your conviction for your family and the people around you for that person, even if it's somebody you love. It's very difficult, right? How many people in your life do you come across where you need to tell them the way you feel 100% but you don't do it? That, that, not that, all the time. Not yeah. all the time, right? And it fucks you <laughs> yeah. up, right? It, it, yeah. it fucks you up because then you walk away from this thing going, damn, my message, bro, is all about truth. Like that, I realize that. Just It's straight about tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth your truth period at the end of the day. But you asked me like, how did some people enable me, man? I miss like the first four years of my son's life. I was there, but I wasn't there. My mom at the time, we actually got along and man, I just, I wasn't ready to give up the drinking and the drugs, the, the, the lifestyle that I was after. So my mom was pretty much raising my son and I would, I would lean into that, but I could justify it because I paid for her car. I paid for, I lived in a massive house, right? So she was actually, she actually owed me. Do you see how that works? It's this like manipulation, this reciprocated darkness dwelling that people just live in. So I believe you draw a line, you draw a safe boundary for yourself. This is, you establish the facts of who you are as a man, the energy, the standards that people are going to allow around your kids and your wife, because that's who you're responsible for. And if they don't fit it, they don't fit it, which is tough to do for some people. Yeah, it's really tough to do. Um, it's tough to do too when, and I don't know, maybe it, it depends on the person. You know, I think there's obviously, if, you know, speaking of my truth, you know, there's people that are probably easier to go, hey, <laughs> you, you're over there. I love you, but like, you know, you're over there until you get your shit squared away. People who mean more, or maybe in a sense for me, like maybe I mentor some of these people or feel more responsible for some people, maybe my siblings, for example, that have struggled with addiction. You know, there's that fatherly sense too, where it's like, man, I don't want to like, I don't want to see you on an island or without a place to be or a home, or I don't want you to feel like you have a safe place because you do with me. But at the same time, you know, you trust that, hey, they've changed or you trust that they're making making progress and then you see, oh, they, they, they haven't and they've lied or they've burned a bridge or whatever. And it's it's hard because you just have that that fatherly mentorship vibe around that person. And you, you just want to, you want to care for them. And obviously you know that at the end of the day, if they're a grown up and they have they have the decisions that are, are you know, they're capable of making, they've made choices, right? And it, like you said, telling them the truth, oftentimes hurts in the moment, but it is what they need to hear. But at the same time, it's harder. It just depends on the person. Bro, I built a, I, I built a movement that's helped 12,000 plus men gain control over their alcohol. And we, we, we have millions of people a month that tune into what we do, right? And pay attention to it, whether via social media or email list or whatever. But 12,000 people is no joke. I get it. I'm not AA, right? I've not been around since 1939, trying to put my fear-based ideologies on people. I've just been around since 2018. Um, but I share that with you because of the men that come through, they're not always perfect, right? So you talked about trust and a burning bridge or something like that. Um, one of the things that I think if, if someone on this call is listening, who's like struggling with making the choice, because I know we're coming from a place where you could help those people. The person has to want to help themselves. Right? Like I had to want to help myself. If I didn't want to help myself, then I was, I wasn't going to do shit. But like, 
when I was building when when I was building my life back and when I was doing what I was doing and I'm watching these guys do what they do. I've never made a choice. I, I, it's been 93 months since I've had a drink or drugs, right? I don't count days. I, I don't count time, but I just had recognized the other day it was 93 months. In 93 months, man, I've been able to do a lot of things. But one thing that I've never done was I just, I've never actually went back to who I was before because I made a firm commitment and conviction into who I was going to become. But to the people that they don't all have what you have, they don't all have what I have. So there has to be some grace given because you do want to nurture them and you want to feel them. But at the same time, you can't fucking baby them. Right, you just can never baby them, and this isn't just about guys with alcohol. Right? You were, you were, we were just talking about telling the truth. You, you're getting more successful right now as you, you're getting bigger and bigger. Your business is growing, your brand is growing. You got some cool stuff from our, our private conversations we had. You're gonna have a whole bunch of fucking takers coming your way, right? I'm I'm a few years ahead of you in, in the business world, right? I know what's coming down your pipeline. I know who's coming after you. I know what's gonna happen down the road. You need to get super firm, saying no, no, no. Like the, your superpower needs to be no whether it's addiction or, or someone taking or trying to get something that you get. Now, here's why I'll tell you that. I literally just had to – I'm a different man than I was when I was with you in um, uh, New Orleans because I came back and I just cut – I cut so much ties with people from my team on the inside, and we've now like literally profitability through the roof, connections through the roof, cultures through the roof because I said no more can I fucking lie to myself. If I'm going to stand by truth, I need to be the truth. And if I am the truth, the truth is the way. Let's go. So I know that's a different lane than alcohol, than uh, addiction, but I just thought I'd give you some advice there. Uh, it's all tied together, man. Um, it's You mentioned something earlier, and I, I was when you said this, it, it, it resonated with me a lot because I've always, you know, I, I'm a I'm a son of an addict. My my, I, you know, to 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 use the term addict, it's always been something that was burned in my in my brain, right? Uh, mostly by my mom, who was trying to explain to me why my dad was the way he is, right? Abusive, n- not around, left as soon as he could. He's got six of us, right? I'm the oldest of six, and not having my father around for. You know, most of my life uh, now was something that wore on me a lot. And I always ask my mom, like, why? You know, why, why is he this way? Why is he that way? She's, oh, he's an addict. You know, he's an alcoholic. And so these terms, you know, start to start to be have, have that, negative, that negative vibe around it, right? So I've always said, oh, I'm not an addict. But I am addicted to a lot of things. <laughs> and when you said that, I was like, oh, man, I'm addicted to fitness. I'm addicted to helping people and coaching people. I'm addicted to results. I'm addicted to crushing it in business. I'm addicted to being a dad. Like I'm addicted to even even some negative things at times, right? Like I used to be addicted to watching sports. I could tell you some crazy stories about how I would do anything to not miss a Chicago Bears game, right? Even leaving vacation early, I would, <laughs> I would get home to see that. And that addiction was there. You mentioned though that you've always, you know, like you're addicted to everything. Like you just have this addiction personality. How far back does that go though? Was that like something you knew as a kid or was that something that got developed as you got older? Man, I think, I don't remember much of my, I don't remember a whole lot of my childhood because it wasn't awesome. So I can't, honestly can't tell you what I was like at that point. I can tell you this, I learned how to sell at a very early age. I learned how to sell and I also, I became addicted to success at a very, very early age. I realized that one of my farthest childhood memories is that I knew I never wanted to be broke, right? Like I knew, even though I've been broke, because I, I came from a trailer park and I saw how other people ate. I saw what it was like to, I got associated with money, with power, with vacations. I saw that at a very, very early age. So I will tell you that I was addicted to that and I still am today, right? I, I'm i okay with it because resources of money, success, putting myself around people, helping people, it, it's going to change the world and it's good. Now, <clears throat> where it got really 
really crazy. Um, was probably about like 14, 15 years old. And it didn't start off that way. It just, I didn't have much money, right? So I could only drink on the weekends. But what I found was as much as I hated myself, right? So, so my, my obsessive nature, my obsessiveness to drinking and drugs and the release of, of that feeling was deeply connected to anger and hatred for myself from when I was a child from the way that I was brought up and some of the issues I had with my, my parents. And what I realized was that when I would drink, right, then I wouldn't feel that way. And I wanted to feel it so extreme that I would just, I would go all in, right? From a very, from a very early age. If, if, we're, if we're at a party at 14 years old, man, I'm having fucking 18 beers, right? Like that's, that's, that's how I was drinking at that age. And then it just went on to 30, 40, 50, cocaine, heroin, just boom, 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 boom. So I would say that I don't believe that it's a genetic disease, right? I just don't believe that because if it was, then why is everyone else in my family not the way that I was? I look at it this way, okay? I believe I was gifted this ability. I, I believe my obsessive gift is why I'm on this fucking call. If it wasn't, why would I be here? Right? Why, why would you want to talk to me if I didn't have this? I never fucked up my life and wasn't so obsessed with with drinking and with drugs and with money and the rise and the fall and the rise and the fall of the life that I have. I didn't live this crazy comeback lifestyle. Nobody would want to hear from me. So when I turn and turn, I look at all the addictions. I look at all, look at all the struggles, the obsessive, the fuck ups, the failures, the pains, the loss, the miseries, the highs, the lows. It was truly a gift. So when I, when I look at this for myself and maybe for some people out there, it's just all a mindset shift when it comes to, to, to drinking, right? I often say this, so I help businessmen, right? Businessmen executives between 35 and 65 years old who want to gain control of their drinking without having to go to rehab and they want to solve it quickly within, you know, three, four, five weeks. Those dudes have instant gratification. They're just wired that way. And when you can accept the fact that you're wired a certain way and you don't have to apologize for it, even though you made some poor choices, there's a whole lot of freedom that unwinds from that area. And that's, that's where I'm at in my life. So I know I got off question, but I just thought I'd share that with you. No, it makes, it makes a ton of sense. As a kid, so you started drinking 14, 15. You were hustling. What were you, were you, what were you selling? Were you selling drugs or what? <laughs> yeah, well, I did, did some drug selling when I was young. But no, I remember we were in, we were in Florida. My brother raced motocross. Um, we, I raced motocross too growing up. But we were in Florida. I remember we were, somehow we had a bunch of spark plugs, right? Like we didn't have any money, but there was like a bunch of spark plugs. And I was in this place called Kroom. Uh, it's a, it's like a dirt bike sand track. And I sold out all the spark plugs that we had so we could have some more money so we could stay down in Florida so we could eat so we could do some stuff. And I remember what it felt like to, like I was getting the money. And I, even though I took it back and give it to my dad, I'm like, dude, this feels really, really good. Right? Like I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't have been, you know, 11, 11, 12 years old, something like that. But I, I equated that power to, to, to doing that. Like, I was like, dude, I want more of this, right? I want more money. I want, I want whatever this is. I didn't even know what it was, but that's one of my, my oldest childhood memories. I, I can relate to that, man. I, <laughs> I did all sorts of odd and in jobs, but it wasn't even the money as much as it was the feeling of getting the money. Right. Right. It was like when, when someone handed you that, like I got five bucks for like walking a lady's dog for a week, you know, it's like, here, here's five bucks. It was like, Damn, that feels good. Like, I like having that power, man. Like, there was something, some energy transfer that took place where I was like, I just want this on repeat every day. Like, this is, this is what I want every single day. I'm still, in a sense, I like that feeling, right? Obviously, now my, 
my uh, purpose is way greater and I know what I want to do with my life and who I want to help. But yeah, man, there's something to that feeling that's like magical. It's, and it's the same magical feeling to what I used to have when I was drinking or using drugs or, or building a big business. It's that endorphin. It's, it's the same thing, right? And I was able to accept that. I just, I realized for me, I was able to choose which way I wanted to use it over time. And I still use the same. I've never changed anything about my life. I just changed the outcome of the energy that I put it into, right? The energy I put it into now goes for good instead of bad. But I take the same amount of effort and intentional intensity into everything that I do every day. Only this time I'm doing it to change the world and build a massive movement. But nothing has changed about me. So when they say people don't change, I believe it's bullshit to a degree. I think people change where they put their energy to and when they decide to change it up here. 100%. I, I do agree with that because I've seen that play out, speaking for myself, I've seen that play out in my life too, where i very much similar to the guy I was 20 years ago, but it's just the energy and, and what I'm putting my effort into that's completely changed, right? My outlook on things has changed, but who I am at my core, you know, hustler, grinder, will work his ass off, loves success, loves helping people, that hasn't changed, right? It's just wasn't putting my energy in the right spot. Yep. Totally makes sense. So you're drinking... 18 beers at 14. How do you, where do you go from there, dude? Cause yeah, so <laughs> 18 beers would have had me, uh, I don't know. It probably had me in a ditch somewhere. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, I did sleep in a ditch some nights. Um, <laughs> it was, it was interesting, right? Like I remember some proms and homecomings and the amount of beer, like in, I live in Wisconsin and that's where I went to school, but like we would be drinking Milwaukee's best 30 racks and 18 packs and like just the most garbage, disgusting beer and then bottles of vodka or whatever. And you know, I know you obviously like Chicago bears. You're, I assume you're from the Midwest, right? So yeah, from Chicago, so yeah. from Chicago. So, you know, I'm only a couple, I'm an hour and a half or, or so up there, but up here, you cross on that board into Wisconsin, bro. It's like cheese and beer and Packers land and like fucking just bred into us. So from a very early age, um, yeah, I just, I started drinking on the weekends and then it started going in the weekdays. Um, my uncle who was like a father to me, we could share my whole story, right? I'll just give it a quick rundown since I'm sure the listeners probably don't want to go through three hours of that shit. But, um, basically at 14 years old, uh, 13 years old, my parents got divorced, 14 years old, years old. My brother, and my dad went off to chase the motorcycle dreams, dreams. I was left to kind of figure it out for myself, right? Didn't realize what it was, but no one was there to tell me what to do. No one told me to go to school. No one told me where I could eat. My uncle though was like this one person in my life that was always, always there for me, even though he had his own family and his own, his own life. Uh, but I, I looked up to him. He was an entrepreneur. He was my role model. He was, he protected me at certain times. He showed me how to, he showed me money. He showed me uh, good things. He showed me bad things. He showed me women. He showed me power. So I always wanted to be like him. Right. But by, you know, 14, 15 years old, I started drinking in the bars with him up here in Wisconsin. Cause there was a law that you could, I don't even know it's a real law or not, but at least back then I believed it that you could drink with your, with your parents since he was like my parent. <laughs> Chaperone. Yeah. So, so I'd be inside these bars, bro. And just getting super hammered in here and he'd go home and I'd still be out there drinking and then fighting full grown med me and my friends, 14, 15 years old. Right. Every weekend it became a, a, an occurrence. So anyways, that just kind of went through the whole way through high school. And then, um, you know, you can only do so much. You don't have a ton of money, even though I was working and grinding and making money, but started doing some cocaine about that time. Pot was never my thing. It was just never for me, but I started doing cocaine about 15, 16, 17, 18. It was getting a little more. Um, I moved to Southern California at 20 years old. So I got out of school and then I moved to Southern California and in Southern California, I developed a very, very, it was cool, right? I worked for monster energy pro circuit, Kawasaki, um, 
and was like super close with the owner of the company. We, we've never been able to rekindle the relationship that we have now, but like was super, it was like the coolest time of my life, the best time of my life. But I also really developed a heavy drinking issue at that time. I'm in Southern California. I'm 20 years old. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? I'm working all the time. I'm living by myself. I'm 3000 miles away from my family. Um, out there and I'd already been you know drinking and doing cocaine but out there I I really fell into love with crystal meth and and alcohol right like and it was how did was how great. did you find crystal meth though was that like just working at monster and like people you knew no 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 those guys those guys are athletes bro they're professional athletes yeah right? so I mean they drink beer but it's not I was like a loose cannon I lived a double life right so um I was doing coke and the one guy that I used to buy the cocaine from one weekend didn't have the coke but he had some crystal meth he had some he called it speed right and then, so I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'll try some of that. And I was instantaneously hooked, right? Like, because I, I felt, I felt significantly more powerful. The truth is for a while there, and pe- I mean, I'll just say it, like I was able to operate. Everything was better. I was better at work. I had more fun. My energy was higher. I could, I, it just life was fucking amazing. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. And, um, it was good before it wasn't good anymore. So I'll, I'll share that. I'll just do a quick recap, right? 14, no one really wants me. Dad and brother are gone. I ended up graduating high school, only went to high school because there was food there. My friends were there. People were there to party. After high school, I went and got a couple jobs, 20 years old. I had a girlfriend at the time. She broke my heart. I moved across the country to Southern California. I, had, I got in a fight, had a broken leg. I drove all the way across, Southern, across, uh, across the country with my left foot in a Regular cab, uh, Chevy S10 pickup truck, stealing gas because I only had 120 bucks in my pocket. Made it all the way to Victorville, California, and the fucking fuel pump went out on my truck right around Christmas Eve. Some guy fixed it for me and ended up staying out in California for like seven years, right? But inside of those seven years, I developed that, that crystal meth problem and the drinking problem and the double life. But it was the most, honestly, it was the most spectacular time of my life until it wasn't. What happened was at the end, the tail end of that, um, well, a couple things happened. My, my best friend, Jimmy, who was like, he was my brother. I have my real brother and he was like my other brother. He ended up dying drinking and driving on Christmas Eve, 2005. Okay. So he, I'm in California. He's in, in Illinois or he lived in Fox Lake or Johnsburg, Fox Lake right there. And, um, he, he died like a block and a half from his house doing like a hundred miles an hour. He got in a car accident, died. So that was like, that was like my first significant loss. I don't, you know, I, I was going through a series of loss of life that I didn't realize it was my first real significant loss of life of somebody I truly loved. And I was in a very, I was on the decline of the crystal meth. My life was, was declining, right? That was becoming more important than anything else. And that really rocked me to my core. Um, after that, after that, my life was just started spiraling, right? I ended up getting a job at American Honda Showa and was going to go work for factory Honda racing and was going to take this job, got myself cleaned up off meth. The day before I was going to go take the drug test, my buddy shows up with some crystal meth and some girls. And the next thing you know, I smoke meth and I go take the test anyways, and I lose the job. So I'm going further and further down the spiral a few months or, you know, fast forward one year later after that, my uncle had cancer, the one who showed me the power and, and, and the stuff in his life in my life on how to be, uh, he had cancer and they didn't think he was going to make it and he was fighting and he was, you know, couldn't talk and literally didn't, couldn't talk for a couple of years and he was fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, then they were going to have like a family reunion. So they flew me home. I thought nobody knew I had a crystal. I thought nobody knew I had a problem, right? I just was lying to everybody. And 
I didn't want to go, but I decided to, I decided to, right? So my brother or whoever set up this plane ticket, I don't know if I told you this part of the story, but I, I went, my flight was at LAX, right? Um, and I lived in Corona and it's like an hour and a half drive from there to there, maybe longer depending on traffic. And as I'm on the way, I get six grams of meth. I get an ax spray, you know, that, that spray stuff. I grind it up. I smash it all up and I electrical tape it. I, I electrical tape the meth to the inside of this fucking spray can. I'm going to fly home with it. So I go to the airport. This girl drops me off. I get out of the car. I start walking into the airport and I see the drug dogs and I get a cab and I leave and go back. And I smoke it all and I stay up all night all freaked out. I'm not going to go. Then I say, I'm going to try it again. I'm calling everyone. They're like, yeah, you got to come. You got to come. They didn't know what I was doing, right? So I get six grams more. I do the same thing. I go to the airport the next day and I fly home with it. I literally flew home with six grams of meth, electrical tape to the inside of an Axe spray bottle. Wait, can dogs sniff crystal meth? I had no idea, but I wasn't going to try it, right? Like <laughs> I know I, they can sniff weed, right? If yeah. I, I wasn't sure about crystal meth. When you're, when you're high as balls and you're like in that state of conscience, you're like, dude, I don't fucking know what to do, right? So I'd imagine. They're like, you're busted for using Axe body spray. So, How dare you? Yeah, so I just, just bolted anyways, right? I, would, I didn't want it. If I would have got caught, man, I'd probably still be in jail. But, oh, of course. It's crazy. Um, so I fly home and I get off the plane and I remember my uncle's dying and, uh, my brother goes, how much of that shit do you got? So this is when I realized everyone knew I had a problem. Remember, I still had all my life back there, my house, my cars, my money, my bank accounts, my friends, my job. And I said, yeah, I got six grams. He's like, cool. Well, when you basically, when you're done with that, you're staying here. You got a one-way ticket. So I switched the crystal meth when I got back here to Wisconsin for just, you know, a couple, just one of my good friends was a, co a Coke dealer. So I could get all the free Coke that I wanted. And I started drinking two bottles of Captain Morgan's a day. So two bottles of Captain Morgan's a day and cocaine all day long. I slept for about 14 days when I got home, but then I just transferred it into that. And I just went on to live and live and live. And this is 2006. So I came off those drugs. I wasn't doing shit with my life. You know, I was a scumbag, honestly. Like I, I was very upset. I lost, I didn't even know who I was. I was just a kid. I mean, I was only 20, 26 years old, about to be 27. And remember my uncle that I told you, was like a father to me. You fast forward, he beat cancer and he got a clean bill of health on a Friday and then he died on a Wednesday drinking and riding on his motorcycle. Oh my God. Was he an alcohol or not alcoholic, but was he, was yeah, he addicted to he, drinking alcohol? Yeah, he drank all the time. He was like a real fun party yeah. guy, right? He, I mean, he had his, he could work all the time, high functioning. He's like the guys I helped, but yeah, he drank all the time. He showed me that drinking was cool. So he, he died on the, on the Wednesday and that rocked me to the core, right? So I had, I lost my friend, right? Then I lose that job. And then I'm back from California. I have nothing here. Then I lose my uncle. I'm like, fuck, dude. Like, my life is just, what do I do now? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make him proud. And I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing, right? And I'm still, still struggling with all this stuff. He had a little crappy trucking company. It was good when he was not sick, but people were stealing from him. And I walked into the trucking company the next day after he died. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make him proud. And I went in and it was in shambles and I ended up like having to work through some stuff. But long story short there, 
I took an idea that he had to make him proud from one beat up semi truck and a bunch of shitty employees to 43 semis, 78 employees, two warehouses in Wisconsin, making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, all at the same time of living, uh, progressively getting worse by drug and alcohol addiction. No longer crystal meth, but it was drinks all day, cocaine all day pills to go to sleep right at that time right so it was just literally drinks drinks and drugs all day long build 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 that was from 2007 to 2013 so i did pretty so good we talked about this in new orleans and i think i know you said uh alcoholism's not genetic but i think i i mentioned something to you i think the the uh ability to tolerate <laughs> i was like is two bottles first of all just the thought of two bottles of captain morgan's i'm already drunk just thinking about it right I, I could never tolerate even close to that not to mention the coke on top of it sleeping pills yeah. i mean the it's a miracle that you're even here talking well, to me the, right at least in my head on the other side of it bro like looking what i know now like why i did that because i hated myself like i just i didn't really want to be alive I, I didn't i didn't really you know what i'm saying like i just didn't I hated myself. Was, was it because you just didn't know your purpose or was it because like you truly just despised who the fuck you were? You were just like, I fucking just hate who I hate who I see in the mirror, hate how I act. I, like hate, I hate me. I hate, I hate the way I am. I hate, I hate where I came from. I hate, I've just, I just, I just had a ton of sadness and darkness inside of me. But, um, I'll finish the story in case these listeners were liking the, uh, the timeline. <laughs> so 2013, right? Um, 2000, I, I developed a $3,000 a day drug and alcohol problem, which is about a million dollars a year, right? And we were doing really, really well. And at the height of my career, like I said, I was drinking about 50 to 60 drinks a day, all day long. My dad owned a bar, two bars. My uncle, even though he dead, he owned a bar. Plus I had money. I would never stop. I'd just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And I wasn't paying attention to business. So I grew this thing up and then thought everything I uh, turned, touched, everything I touched turned to gold. And then reality is it doesn't work that way. And then boom. I ended up losing. I owed the IRS uh, millions of dollars. I owed, like, people stole from me on my taxes. I got myself in a situation where I I was just fucked, right? And <clears throat> there, I was buying out this new business and these new companies, and I got into bed with this guy, and I started, like, getting ready to buy his stuff out, and instead, in turn, we weren't paying attention to my business, and I put myself in a situation where I lost my business. So what happened was, we went around to all my clients, right? I just signed a $27 million contract with Generac Power Systems to be their in-house carrier. Like I had all these semis, things were going really well. I go in, I, I sign off all my contracts. This guy's going to help me. I'm going to go get some help. He's going to pay me $20,000 a month. The day that I sign everything up, he fucking kicks me out, right? Like literally give all my, my, my toilet paper in the business, like every single thing. My brother worked there. My cousin worked there. My best friends worked there. Everyone worked for me. Everything that I built was gone like that. I was at like the lowest of the low. And man, that put me even further and further down into the, the depression rabbit hole of like suicide. That was, that was May 15th, 2013. You fast forward then. So imagine May 15th, 2013 to father's day, June 18th, 2013. Um, I woke up that morning suicidal, right? Like I'm just like, I didn't want to be here anymore. I was selling, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was alone. I felt like a failure. I felt like an imposter syndrome. Like you couldn't even get over it. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I'm, I'm still using drugs. I'm still drinking. I'm still partying. I'm partying, right? If you will, but I'm selling my bike. I'm selling my cars. I'm selling my hot tub. I'm sitting in the middle of my, my house is empty. I had this big, massive house. And I'm like, fuck, this is it. My mom lives over on this one wing of my house. I wake up and I go over and I tell her, I said, Hey, 
I'm done. I want out of here. I'm checking out. You, you need to go, right? Like, and so she gets nervous, of course, because she probably, probably thought I was going to kill myself. But the reality is I didn't want to kill myself. I just, I just was hurting, right? So she calls my friends, calls some people up. They come over, and um, they bring beer, right? They bring some beer over. Of course, I have a couple beers, start feeling a little bit better. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to be fine. Let's go get some lunch. It's a beautiful sot. I'm not going to see my son. It's, it's fucking Father's Day. So we go down to this little Mexican restaurant. We're going to have some tacos. Instead, I go for the margaritas while I'm down there. I'm drinking a couple margaritas, having a couple more beers. A couple hours into it, I'm like, you know what? I feel good. Come Monday, I got this. Right? I'm going to get my shit back together. I'm going to rebuild. I can do this. Like, I'm on top of the world because I'm drunk at this point. I'm like, you know what? It's a great day. It's hot. Um, I just want to go swimming. And this girl pipes up, who I went to high school with. She's like, well, I got a lake house. I'm like, cool. Let's go swimming. So I jump in the car with her. And we go we go about our business and, and, uh, we went to this lake house that she was at and like three times she stopped and I didn't know what she was doing, but long story short, long story short, it turned out she was doing heroin. So I woke up that morning suicidal. And then once I put two and two together and I realized what she was doing, I said, well, fuck, shoot me up. Right. I had sniffed some before, but I never shot it up. And I, once I had shot up at that moment, I knew I was doing wrong. So I call one of my friends at some point and I say, Hey, I need you to come get me. Like I shouldn't be here. This isn't where I belong. Get my truck. It's at my house. Come get me. I don't remember much of the night. Right. I don't remember really anything from, from that moment other than my truck never made it. You fast forward to the evening and he's, he's dead. Right. So a decision and a choice that I made put me in a position to where all of a sudden somebody I love and care about is dead. And I remember the realness of like, I can see it right now, his face and he's cold. And as I'm, I don't know what to do and I'm calling the cops and I call, actually, I'm not even close to my dad, but I called my dad first before I called the cops. Right. And then they had got my records. And it, it was just a fucking nightmare, bro. So I went from like losing, being on top of the world, being a multi multi-millionaire, losing my business, all of a sudden, you know, through all this death, all this tragedy, then all of a sudden I lose this guy by my choice. And I'm like, fuck, what's going on? And you would think that'd be enough to wake me up, right? So I, then the next thing you know, I'm running around town and people are, you know, saying he killed them because I fell down somewhere during the night. My face was all fucked up. When they saw him at the funeral, he was like bruised up, they said. I mean, you know just how hearsay bullshit goes. But they're like, try, they're trying to say that I killed him and I beat him to death. And then the cops are trying to wonder where that girl got whisked out of the country. So I'm left to deal with this thing saying, if I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to go to jail. I was just completely honest with them. But as I'm going through all of that, remember, I just lost the business and my fucking, my family and the people around me are that still, they're like, Hey, like we need to do something different. We need to get out of here. I ended up in the midst of all that building another company. As I'm going through that, I turned $200 into 6 million in 10 months, like starting another trucking company. So I called in favors. I, I, I just, I just hustled and put it all together, but I didn't fix anything inside of me. Right. I didn't fix me. I didn't do anything, um, to make my life better. I was, I still hated myself. I went 10 months and then I blew that one up and that thing just ended up failing. Anyways, I went on to sell car, right? Well, there was a, another massive, remember I talked about those seven relapses. I just gave you two, right? Like one was when he died. And then all of a sudden was, uh, was after the, 
I started that other business. Like I fucked up and the next thing you know, that thing's gone and I'm re-putting. I owe everybody more money. My life's in shambles. I didn't really want to go on. I grew a bigger beard than I have right now. And I stopped working out. I stopped doing everything. I just was like fucking depressed. But I, I have a son, right? At this time, I have my son. He was born in 2009. So he was like three, four, five years old. I had enough wherewithal to say, you know what? I need to keep going for this kid. He needs and deserves more. I didn't know what more was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know why I wanted it. Anyways, after I lost that second business, then I went and I sold cars. There was a brief period I did network marketing. That's actually where I found self-development. And I did really, really good at network marketing. I got myself sober, even though I hate the word sober for 10 months. This is one more relapse, right? Got myself sober for 10 months. I won an award. They, took, they sent me out to San Diego for some like award thing and meal. I go to the bathroom during the awards dinner and the valet guy in the bathroom asked me if I want some Coke. I said, sure. Like I'm sober. I said, sure. I take the Coke with it, but it wasn't Coke. It was, it was speed. Then I'm running around Southern California just for three days, just strung out. Right. Anyways, I came back. I said, fuck the network marketing. Didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I went and sold cars. Why I'm telling you this is important is because if you just look at the theme in the story, right, it's up, down, it's massive, like ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. I went on to sell cars. Um, and I started in like the end of 2014 by April of 2015, bro. I was selling 30 cars a month in a town of 10,000 people in, El in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, which is tiny, right? I was really, really good at it. And I started leaving the, uh, and I, I got myself clean and sober again, right? I'll use that word for this call. I got myself clean and sober, but still no self-development, still no understanding who I am. I just stopped, right? I white knuckled it essentially and stopped. And um, because I, I just traded the the in, the obsessiveness for the money and the work to, to build my my life back, right? And I felt good about it, man. I was, I was working out. I was in good shape, doing good things. But I started leaving these Saturday morning meetings with three to $5,000 every Saturday. Next thing you know, I find myself at a bar, wasted. And it was almost my birthday. So my birthday's in June. And I disappeared for two days. Didn't go to work. They found me. I'm, I'm all strung out on heroin. I'm wasted. I just went right back to everything that it was, just completely fucking trashed. They come to me at the rehab. They, the guys at the dealership come and say, listen, man, either take help or you're gone. And I said, okay, I'll take help. The next day they put me in a rehab. I did the, I, that was June 12th, 2015. I ended up then staying there all the way till July 3rd, right? Which is not that long, but what's that? 15, about eight, 20 days, 21 days was like three weeks. Um, I, I got out of that rehab on July 3rd and I relapsed in six hours. So it, in the, and then that was my life fell apart. Right. So I'm, I'm only sharing with you a couple of these mass relapses. I was on top of the world. I got out. I'm healthy. I removed myself from the alcohol. I'm still lying to myself. I didn't do any of the fuck work. I get out in six hours. I'll tell you what triggered it, right? I know I'm sharing a lot with you, but my, my, I wanted to see my son. The whole time I'm in rehab, bro, I'm just like, man, I'm going to do this for my son. I'm going to do it for my son. I'm going to do it for my son. And then I get out and I try to call him to see him. And his mom's like, yeah, he's, he's down in Chicago. You can see him tomorrow. So I call my one sober friend. He's actually a bodybuilder and fitness guy. And this is like a really still my friend to today. And, uh, I call him. I said, Hey bro, like, what are you doing? He's like, come over to the, to the park. Your son's here. Come over to the, the sunset park. It's a swimming pool here. Your son's here. I'm like, fuck it. It hit me in, in the gut. She lied to me. She didn't want me around him. 
I could have made a choice and a decision at that moment to go get him, which would have drastically changed everything about my life. But instead, I got in my car on July 3rd. I went directly to a bar to get a cheeseburger. Some dude walked in, and he says he's all drunk on, on 4th of July weekend. He's like, you want a shot? I'm like, nah, man, I just got a rehab, but fuck it. Give me one. I do a shot. The next thing you know, I'm doing fucking heroin that night. And I'm coked up, doing heroin, pills, drunk. All the shit came right back. Self-hatred for myself, just gone. I went on the worst nine-day bender of my life. Because my son was taken from me, like rightfully so. I hated myself. <clears throat> my, my, I just was, that was it. Like, I'm like, this is disgusting. I didn't shower for nine days, bro. I didn't, I didn't, I just wanted to die. I straight up wanted to die. And my brother comes to me, he's like, yo, you need to get out of here. Like, we hate you. <laughs> Go, your, my mom lived in Florida. Just get out of here. So remember, I told you in the beginning, just like, that was it for them. They were no longer with baby yeah. me. Just get out of here. Go to Florida. I went down to Florida. Um, I did, dude, I feel bad for the lady that had to sit next to me on the plane because I was like shaking and shit like that. Anyways, I get off the plane. I'll, I'll try to go quick here for you. I get off the plane and um, my mom picks me up. She takes me directly to a bar. I start drinking. I feel a little bit better. I was down there for like two weeks. I was the person's house she was at. I'm, I'm stealing the booze. I'm replacing the vodka with water, drinking all the thing, going down to the little clubhouse where they have charging shit to their house. Like I did not care. I was I was gonna go to uh, this is where this is where this is important. I know it's a long story, but this is what happened. My ex wife, my son's mom, was telling me, "Fuck you, the world's better off without you. You should kill yourself. You don't deserve him. Why don't you just die?" And I started believing it. Write your rights off to your son. So I've got I had the papers right. And I literally was going to write the rights off to him. That was the plan. That's what I was going to do. But before I did it, I went and I was going to get a job as a valet parker, parking cars. My plan then was to make cash, drink beer, and I guess just party. All right, just party. I interview for the job. I grab a beer. I go out and I sit on the ocean. I actually have a picture on the other side of my thing here. I sit on the ocean. I can remember the sky's pink, blue, orange. Like it's a beautiful color. I'm drinking the beer, and I heard a voice that said, are you ready to listen to me now? As loud as could be. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And I'm like kind of crazy. I'd done these drugs, but I, I didn't know what it was. But I stood up, and I knew clearly what I needed to do. I came home. I begged for my job back at the dealership. I owed $1.5 million in back money. Um, I didn't have a cell phone. Didn't even have a pair of shoes at the time. My life was in shambles. I wanted to give up. I hated myself, but I wanted the opportunity. They gave me the opportunity. You fast forward, I guess I don't count time, but 93 months, man, I've fucking, I'm in control of every aspect of my life. And I've helped 12,000 dudes have come through the program in one way, shape, or another. Millions of people tune into the content each month via paid and organic through all the platforms. Um, my son is amazing. Our relationship is amazing. I'm married to the love of my life, which you got to meet, Kendra, who ultimately her life got with more issues with alcohol in her life. I've got two new daughters. And it all stems from one thing that I could tell you and every one of your guys on here, whether struggling with alcohol or know somebody or not struggling or fitness or whatever, is that the greatest gift, the greatest power that we all possess, the ability to choose. I was just choosing to do shit the wrong way. The minute I started choosing to do it the right way and continuously choosing it, like I battled back through some dark shit. The past eight years have not been easy. Yeah. But here we are, man. So, I, I was going to say the past eight years have to have had to have been moments where you thought, man, I, 
I could go back, right? If, if I just make one, one small choice. Yeah. You know, I never, I'm not afraid. I think at first, like we're talking specifically about the alcohols. I developed a whole new strategy. That's what I coach. And that's what I teach. Why it works for me. I think the first year was difficult. I can't remember too much about it. Cause like, honestly, you mean you, me and you could have a beer right now. I'm not afraid of it. I've done so much. I've spent over seven figures on my self-development. Like literally I've, you know, the best coaches the, attend all that, just like we do in this space. But I took my, took it seriously. And I put over seven figures into me because I want to know who the fuck I am. So in the, maybe at first I was like, ah, I could go back. I look at it now. And like, the only thing that has control over me is me. The outside circumstances, like whatever, an act of God, yes, I cannot control that, but I can control how I respond to everything. And since today I'm up, bro, I'm going to maximize every single thing that I have coming my way. So I never, like, I never be afraid. Hmm. Yeah, because I think, uh, you know, and I I've, haven't been down this path because, you know, I've, I've just seen people go down the path. But like things like AA, you know, like that, that seems to be the, the go-to for most people, right? Oh, you got to go to AA, you got to go to meetings, you got to, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, it doesn't sound like that's what you did at all. No, bro. So, I mean, I developed what's called the Comeback 7 Faith, Finances, Family, Fitness, Future Freedom Foundation, and then I created a whole workbook and program. I built an app and a thing. I needed to see quantifiable results in the way that I could actually stack, track, measure, and win my day because it didn't make sense for me to walk into a room, raise my hand, and say that I'm weak, diseased, and powerless because nothing in my life was ever weak, diseased, or powerless. I just took a bunch of shitty actions, and I did more in that. Even though I shared with you a very dark story, there was a lot of amazing times. Dude, we made I made just just around $100 million in gross revenue, Like, but like I can't. There's nothing weak about that. There's nothing weak about that. Right. So anyways, I don't want to knock on AA because I, where I come and I think you're the same way is ultimately we want the people to be healthy. Right? You're not the only fitness coach out there. You probably want, you see a fat person, you want them to be healthy, whether it's your way or fucking Weight Watchers, it's as long as they sure. do the right thing. So when I look at AA, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm not going to knock it because it's done some really good stuff, but it didn't fit right here. Like in my mind, I was not set up to ever let myself ever believe that I was weak. And from a childhood, right? Like going all the way back to what I hate about myself, like uh, my dad was hard on me. Like he was super hard on me. But I'm grateful for that he treated me like shit because now I'm resilient as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're just coming at it from an angle of like, hey, like, like, I, like it's almost similar to what I talk about with fitness, right? Like we have guys that we work with, super successful guys like yourself. And I say, listen, you got all the skills required to be an absolute shredded savage. You may not realize it, but like, look at your life. Like you're successful in business, same skill set, right? You have a great marriage, same skill set. You're a great dad. Like you're fucking amazing dad. Like fitness is easy for you. <laughs> like you just don't know it yet. Cause you're looking at it from this place of weakness, right? Like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do it. No, you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? You just put all your energy into all these other areas. All you gotta do is do the same skills, use the same skill sets that you have, and just combine it with the right system over here. And dude, you're gonna look and feel and perform like an absolute beast. You just don't realize it yet. I think, you know, specifically with fitness and guys who are successful, they like to say, they want the results, but they don't want to do the work required to get the results. Right? That's really what it is, right? Because I'm going through your, I'm using your stuff right now, and and like yeah. you know, I'm it's less calories than I ate, and and I share, I've been shredded before, like I've done it, I've shared pictures with you, right? So like, yeah, I know what to do, I know how to do it, 
just for a period of my time when I was building and building and building, I'm like, dude, it's, I'm just going to lift weights. I could justify it. Like I'm going to eat more and I'm going to be super strong. Well, all that did was give me fucking blown out knees and a hurt back. Right. So that was not, that was not very good. But my, my point is when you see a lot of these guys, there has to be just like with alcohol or food or, or pornography or whatever their, whatever their vice is, there has to be something that clicks inside of their mind that says, I want more in that specific area. You can tell mm. yourself till you're blue in the face that you want to be absolutely shredded, but when you get up and have a fucking pop tart and pour all the sugar and cream in your coffee, you don't really want it. Right. Right. And I think going back to what we talked about in the, in the beginning of this call, what I talked about is like, stop fucking lying. Like that's what the truth means. And I'm not talking about the external lies to people. I'm talking about lying to yourself. And that's actually the first module I teach in my program. Well, first module is love yourself. But the video is in the beginning is stop fucking lying. Like stop fucking lying. Mm. And that's not about, it's not about the lies you tell people. It's the, it's the, the lies of omission. It's the things that you're not telling yourself or the things you're not doing or the things you're saying that you want, but you're not really willing to put the work in a man's identity is not deeply rooted into how much money he makes or how fit he is or how successful it's deeply rooted into his actions and who he is inside of his head. Right? So if you mm. can grasp that concept, you can be anything you want to be. I think a, the byproduct of absolute extreme great health and fitness is just you choosing to be a warrior. Totally. Yeah. We call that identity design in our program. It's funny, very similar process to where, you know, the first step is number one, giving yourself like the permission to go be a savage, right? Stop putting up these walls inside your head. Like no one's, no one's putting up walls in front of you. It's all inside here. It's all stories you've told yourself, most of which are fabrications, right? And coming to grips with what do you truly desire? Like, just be, don't be ashamed to have desires, right? Like we've, in this weird world we're in now where it's like weird to have wants and to want to be great and to want to be the best. It's like, dude, that's good. Like we, <laughs> let's, let's use that desire, that true desire that gets you up in the morning, you know, that, that builds consistency around doing the right things. Cause you're being consistent as shit right now. <laughs> you're just being consistently bad. hundred <laughs> percent. It's the same thing I say in my program, right? But they talk about wanting balance. I go, dude, what, how balance doesn't exist. Look at the life you're living right now, right? Like, there's no such thing as balance. There's no such. Every thing. moment has weighed in different directions. Like, there's no, like, if we were all balanced, we'd be we'd be robots. We'd be AI, basically, right? Where it's just literally robotic fucking motions throughout the day. It would be boring as hell. Balance is boring. It's very boring. Discipline's boring, but it's also what's needed, right? Like, but I, I find it. I find it with desire, I, right? Yeah. With desire, discipline gets fun when you have desire attached to it, right? If it's just discipline, then that's boot camp, right? Like, sure. okay, yeah, it's, it's let's suck it up. It sucks. And it's just, you know, and that's why boot camp doesn't last forever in the military because it's not sustainable. Eventually you got to get out and actually yeah, <laughs> use your skills. Exactly. Yeah. But discipline, like for me, I, I love the discipline, but it, if you look at it, if you want a successful life, then you need to have a disciplined, boring life at times, but you actually have to have this sure. massive lofty goal that you're after. And that, that should be, you went back to saying this crazy society we live in, bro. I don't even fucking adhere to that society. I don't want to live in that society. I'm not going to acknowledge it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to let my kids do it. I know this is a different conversation. My wife and I just did a podcast talking about the word taboo on some certain topics. Dude, fuck. I'm sorry. I swear a lot, but like, dude, I'm put here to live my life. Right? Like, and I want certain things in my life. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm, I'm chasing a billion dollar dream. Like as we're adding in, like, for in I'm a comeback right now. Like we're in the process of creating sparkling waters and different supplements. Like 
you know, clothing and the brand moving and different lower tier ticket products and putting the ebook and on every single person's hand, the writing an actual book that rivals the, the big blue book of AA. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm going after every fucking thing that I can get. And I think all of it, because it's what I want. What else would I do with my time? Fucking squander my shirts. Sure. <laughs> You're not going to yeah, sit around and drink. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And here's the thing, bro. Maybe, like, maybe a little heroin too while we're at yeah, it. Yeah, right. Let me just do that. <laughs> About a thousand degrees in my, my uh, podcast room right now. My face is red as hell. Um, it's, there's going to come a time, like, guys like me, you, Keith, other people that we know. And, like, if I decide I want to have a drink with you, like, I know you're not a big drinker, but, like, Dude, that, that's not going to change anything about who I am. I'm not going to run back and just start doing drugs. I've got, I've done so many reps, not even than missing a day in the gym, right? And, or, or, or falling off your program and having a cheeseburger. What's the difference if I had a fucking white claw? Yeah. Nobody ever got fat over a cheeseburger. Right. right. And it doesn't set and nobody, you back nobody, at zero. Nobody's ever going to fall back into a fucking terrible cycle. It's just the power you give it. Right, exactly. that one cheeseburger you give it so much power. That's the most. Like all that cheese, cheeseburger just fucked up eight eight weeks of work. No, it didn't, dude. Like, what are you talking just, about? You could literally just run that line for the podcast, and these guys would get a ton of value off that. It's the power you give anything over yourself, instead of letting yourself understand you have the power in everything. Period. The end. Hmm. How do people get connected with you, brother? Because this, I mean, your story is flat out nuts, but I think what's even crazier is the results you get, you know, for people. That's, that's really where the power is and, and what people should be paying attention to. How, how do, you know, I know you work with, is it just alcohol or what do you guys work with all, all types of vices that people, that people yeah, struggle with? I mean, I can help anything, but typically the guy that comes to me, like my special brownie, like yours is fitness. Mine is, is alcohol, right? So the, they understand like, Oh, Hey, I'm drinking too much. I need to fix this in my life. Um, but you can find us, you can find me at Iamacomeback.com or, you know, Facebook. I, whenever I do these podcasts, I never do a great job of doing call to actions. What I like to do is just realize I'm gonna, when the time is right, I'm going to show up with my marketing and my strategy on your Facebook feed. And you're going to click my link. But yeah, I am a comeback. So you check, you have a team that checks your messages on Instagram? Yeah, we do. We got teams. You check? Uh, lots of people doing lots well, of stuff for yeah, us. All, all my listeners just message Mark that you heard him on the TT podcast and you want to learn more about his program. That's, that's a good, a good way to get the conversation started. Started. Yeah. And even if you don't, like, if you know somebody that is struggling, man, share some of my videos with them. Like, I don't necessarily need to sell everybody. That's not what this is about or, or have already my program. It's about taking that deals, the thoughts and the principle of understanding that the greatest gift, the greatest power you possess, the ability to choose. And if we can have more people from this podcast, understand whether it's through alcohol, through drugs, through food, fitness, whatever, that you are in control of your choices, man, we did a great thing today. Agreed. Yeah. Every time I talk to you, man, you know, not to kiss your ass too much, but <laughs> I always pick up a nugget, whether it's a business nugget in our first, you know, major conversation we ever had, or even just today, just tell me about the, the jar you do with your, with your girls, man. I, I appreciate it. It's a gift, man. It's a really, it's an incredible gift to be able to uh, just be authentic and, and give value even just in a, in a casual conversation. So I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you having me on today, man. Thank you very much. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much, bro. Yeah.